Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to my show. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Um, if it's your first time tuning into Snake Oil Radio, uh, I'm going to keep this kind of short in case you're catching the show live or an archive. Uh, a lot of different things that I do. Um, I am a professional oracle reader, numerology, astrology. Uh, I've been doing navigational consultant and, and sessions with people for many, many years. Uh, information about all of that available on my website at jimventur.com. <clears throat> but uh, more importantly, for today's show, uh, this is kind of what I call one of my storytelling shows. Um, you know, I am a writer. I write a column. Um, I also do uh, segments on YouTube, as well as my radio show here, of course, and a lot of um, writing and, and discussions on Facebook as well. Um, and so, you know, a, a big part of me is, is a, you know, quote-unquote professional storyteller. Uh, again, I've got a couple of books. Uh, and I've got quite a, 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 I'm writing a column since 2003. So uh, a lot of stories. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the, the breakdown of this show. Um, it is a 45-minute show. I'm not going to be able to take live calls during the show. Uh, but my, my first agenda, my first purpose is to share a, a very poignant story of a gentleman I had briefly worked with uh, over 20 years ago named Patrick. Um, this is a, a, a very profound story uh, in, in, in who and what Patrick was and what he had to deal with. Um, that is the first segment of today's show. And then I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about um, the implications of a pandemic um, and what that means both energetically and, and spiritually and, and how it affects us. Um, in terms of our emotional bodies and, and how it affects society at large. So, uh, you know, one of the last big notable pandemics, of course, you know, began in the 80s, and that was, was the AIDS crisis. So we'll talk in the second segment on, on that subject. Um, and then the third segment, I'm going to kind of go into a bit of metaphysical uh, reference and talk about um, how your beliefs form your reality, how this interconnects with our uh, our, our, our physical health of our body itself interconnects with our emotional body, our belief systems. So the good news is for all of you is if you're not met, enjoy the story, even the second part, and then you can tune out in the third part <laughs> because it may not necessarily be your thing. Um, although I, I do recommend you might want to kind of check it out. Uh, I think uh, most of my listeners will be aware enough to to grasp uh, some understanding from that. If you are metaphysical, of course, you're going to be itching to get to that stuff. But uh, I'm going to touch upon some of those things today. Uh, but I just wanted you guys to know what, what the kind of layout was for my, my conversation today. So I want to start off with um, the story of Patrick, um, because this is kind of really where the trigger was. Um, for me, I, I've watched a lot of things in the last couple of months as well with, with this pandemic and a lot of the fear and also heroism. Arriving, uh, arising in this crisis as well, too. And it, it reminded me of the story of Patrick, um, and, and I thought I, I would share that with you today. So the story is called The Story of Patrick, uh, Pandemics of Fear or Waves of Love. So when I was about 32, this is only maybe after four or five years of working with, with clients in session, you know, in office or by phone. I talked to a 30-year-old man by phone. He was 
smart, funny, kind, and a, a talented creative gay man living in San Francisco at the time. Uh, he was also HIV positive. Patrick was just out of an abusive relationship with an ex-boyfriend and also dealing with conflict and cruelty that had been going on for years connected with his family. His Bible-thumping, fire-and-brimstone Christian parents did not approve of his lifestyle. Okay. Uh, as if one sexual orientation could actually be classified as a lifestyle. All right. He had been thrown out of his home at a young age by his parents, and his emotional body was still understandably wounded. He was still close to his sister, but he had no relationships at this point with his, with, with his parents at all. During the session, I did my best on work on convincing Patrick of his value and that his family was completely wrong and coming from a place of fear. It was not easy to attempt to break him of his deep-seated beliefs that he was unworthy of love. I reminded him that he was more than just worthy. It was his right. He was open to hearing this, but he did not believe it. And yet, considering his background, it was no surprise that he felt this way. Okay, so I talked to him one of the time after that, interestingly enough, um, and then I hadn't heard from Patrick in, in probably about eight months. Um, and this happens with clients. Sometimes sometimes people will, will talk to me you know, a series of times and they, they got enough out of the sessions and they go do their own thing or for many other reasons they, they disappear. But um, I can tell you that he really was a delightful person to talk to. Um, he was just really sweet and, and funny and, you know, he just obviously was a very loving, talented man. And the abusive relationship that he had gotten out of, you know, again, from a, you know, a counselor, spiritual, energetic perspective makes sense. You know, we, if we, we come out of abuse, it can be hard to break those patterns. Uh, emotional abandonment um, can be healed. That is the good news. But it, it is a hard pattern to break because it sets elements in motion that, that are hard to, to, to resolve. But again, they are solvable if we're willing to work on them. So um, again, hadn't heard from, from Patrick in a while. And I ended up getting a call again about eight months later. And it was his sister who I had never spoken to before, um, the one that he had a good relationship with that he had mentioned. And she told me that Patrick had died. Uh, about a week before this, um, that his parents um, did not show up to the funeral. They refused to attend, as did some of the other family members. Uh, she was there with all you know, of his friends. Um, you know, I got to tell you, um, I, I was kind of devastated by this, of course. Um, you know, I, I try not to get too attached you know, obviously in a practical sense to, to my clients and the people that I talk to, um, but I am a human being. And, and, you know, the trigger part for me, aside from just the sadness of this loss of, of this person, um, was that, that sense of, you know, that lack of humanity from, from the family. Again, thank God for the sister, obviously. She was awesome. Um, but, um, you know, it, it affected me. In that sense, and you know, I went through that process of feeling like I wish I had done more 
um, you know, that I could have done more if I had tried harder, maybe in a way. And anyone who's gone through a loss, like, you know, of a, a friend or, a, a, you know, a, a companion or, or anyone that they had some connection to, of course, is going to feel some of those emotions. You know, in the extreme cases of things like suicide, you can wish you had done more, you know, as well. So none of those are, are strange emotions or feelings by, by, uh, by any means. Um, so, yeah, I had to kind of rectify that uh, in myself. It wasn't my fault. I, I did the best that I can. And, and I also, you know, I always venture to say as sad as Patrick's death was, um, you know, in his own way, he had a good life in spite of his, his abuse and things that he had overcome. He clearly had touched many people um, in his 38 years, I believe, uh, of being alive. And, you know, I think we, you know, we, we have this ideal that we're all supposed to live to 90 or 100 or, you know, various other factors. Um, and that is not just simply not always the case. You know, I think the quality of a life certainly is more valuable than the quantity of time. It's kind of nice if we can get both, I might add, you know, but in that sense. So, so the, you know, the trigger dynamic with, with the AIDS crisis um, that had that surfaced in the 80s um, Obviously, Patrick was uh, HIV positive, and I don't know specifically what had taken him out. Uh, it, it, HIV is, is a weakened immune system um, in that respect, so I don't know specifically what took him out. But, again, that was a factor. So, you know, now that we're in another pandemic of, of a different sort, um, I want to point a few things out about the AIDS crisis, the AIDS, uh, AIDS crisis. Um, many of you that are, you know, under 40 may not be, you know, so knowledgeable about what had, had gone on. I was only a kid during it, of course, but um, I, I was aware of it, obviously, for, for different reasons. And, you know, the thing I'll tell people who are under 40, um, who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you know, even, you know, just gay-friendly people, um, it was a different time. Um, you know, we live in an era after, you know, Will and Grace and Ellen and, you know, and, and homosexuality is a much more accepted element in society in that sense than, than it was at that time. Uh, you know, uh, the people affected most strongly during the age crisis at the time in the 80s when the surface were the more marginalized people within society. So it was, you know, it largely hit gay men, uh, prostitutes, uh, intravenous drug, drug users, you know, elements at that time in the 80s that were seen as um, the quote-unquote less desirable elements of society. Now, again, of course, that is absolute nonsense, but again, I'm pointing out beliefs at the time. So we're going to come back to that uh, in a little bit because that is significant. But what was, what was interesting about this pandemic is, one, I will tell you mathematically, uh, since, I guess, 81, 82, when the AIDS crisis quote-unquote began, um, a lot of people don't know, 37 million people in the world approximately have passed from this disease. And while the situation is certainly a, a lot better and less people passing from it, people still are and, and still are dealing with this uh, in some respects, so um, a pandemic. Um, so there were some, some things to observe that went on at that time, some beautiful things, true waves of love and, and wonderful things that happened at the time. And then, of course, um, you know, real fear and behavioral elements within society as a response to the AIDS crisis that, of course, were atrocious, shock of shocks. But let's start with the good stuff, um, you know, the waves of love. Um, 
you know, there was incredible heroism by, by doctors and nurses and hospital workers at that time. Religious groups um, really did some amazing work. Um, even regular people, um, celebrities donated and, and put energy towards finding a cure and healing and, and bringing awareness to this crisis. So I really want to point out that, that there was a, a fair amount of beauty that emerged as human beings rose to the occasion um, and, and stepped up in that way to show empathy and love and compassion um, for, for people struggling and suffering with all of this. So that's the good stuff. Now, unfortunately, the quote-unquote bad stuff, the difficult stuff that, that went on. Um, you know, when this disease first surfaced, they didn't really know how it was transmitted um, in that sense. So there was an incredible amount of fear around it um, because it had originated largely within uh, primarily, again, gay men, um, you know, again, prostitutes and, and, and other, uh, you know, and, and intravenous drug users. So a lot of things that society did as a, as a reaction to it. Because they didn't know what it was about, again, how it was transmitted. So there was um, there was the closing down of a lot of the bars, uh, bathhouses closed down. Um, you know, there was a shutdown, a lot of fear among people about being sexual at all, especially among among gay men, and and uh, and that was a you know a significant event that had lasted for for months, even years, uh, about you know shutting that part of you down in a way, because, again, fear of how it's transmitted. And even when it was figured out, ultimately, um, you know, uh, safer sex practices came into play, and there was some obviously good things that came out of that. But I do want to really reiterate that there was some kind of darkness that went on at that time. Um, one of those things was that um, children were being born with AIDS, that intravenous drug users that were HIV positive would have children. And... Um, you know, the hospitals at the time, people were afraid in the early years of this to even touch a baby or anyone who had this disease or a, a gentleman or someone in a hospital that was fear. And again, some amazing people rose to the occasion to, to, to attend to them, thankfully. But um, there was a lot of emotional scarring and damage that was happening to these babies because nobody would hold them. And I can get a little emotional here as I talk about this. You know, the odd part is my, my kind of religious Catholic mother, who I've, anyone who's read any of my columns or heard me talk, I talk both glowingly about my mom, who passed back in August, as well as um, humorously shredding her at times for some of the stuff that was kind of horrible about her. But <laughs> I love her, but she, she had a few questionable characteristics, let's put it that way. But, um, one thing that was amazing is, is my mom had read about these babies not being held. And while she never actually followed through on it, she was really adamant about wanting to go to the hospitals and just volunteer to hold the babies. And I got to tell you, um, that just, you know, that filled my heart with love for my mother. And again, she never really quite did it. And that's mostly because of her social anxiety issues and her being terrible at that. But she genuinely wanted to. And, uh, again, that, that's an example of, of some of the, the light that came through, a lot of this darkness as well, uh, my own mom. But, um, yeah, picketing of schools. Um, this is something that went on for years. If, if kids with, with AIDS were in schools, parents were picketing the schools. Um, of course, you had this rise of the Christian right and the born-again 
preachers saying that all people with AIDS should be sent to an island and it's good if they die and you know, all kinds of, of course, repugnant ugliness that surfaces in human nature when fear comes along. You know, and, and my intention is not to, to put down religious people because, you know, this, like anything, it's a mixed bag. Some of them are awesome, amazing people, Christians. And then, of course, you get these horrible 700 club and, you know, I mean, this type of nonsense of, of grotesque proportions and cruelty that, 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 makes, uh, that is triggered by people being fearful and being afraid. So the thing I would point out with AIDS is just like any pandemic is it, it does bring up something in a larger way in society itself. Often a pandemic will, uh, because it's, it, it, it is something that, that we're all participating in in one level or another, you know, even if you don't get sick from AIDS or from COVID-19 now or anything else for that matter, it does give you an opportunity to have empathy and understanding or, or to be touched by other people around you who have ultimately possibly, you know, battled this, even possibly dying or going through it. Um, so pandemics in a larger picture always end up shifting society in dramatic ways. So let's look at this from, from the perspective of the AIDS crisis. Um, well, you had a lot of this kind of horrible stuff going on, too, about judgment and, and, and fear and, and all of these things connected with that, and gay men being told they shouldn't have sex at all, and all this other, again, nonsense that emerged. You had an eventual change within society itself. Part of that, of course, is that AIDS began to move into the mainstream as well, where you didn't have to be gay to get AIDS or a drug user or a prostitute necessarily either for that matter. Um, again, marginalized people within society um, at that time uh, began to spread. You know, uh, if you want to say, uh, you know, a gay man deserves it, he gets he gets what he gets because you're some religious piece of crap, you know, in that sense, in that context. You know, how do you then say, um, you know, the baby who's born with this at some level is at fault? Um, you know, what kind of humanity is that in that sense? Insane. So the, 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 the experience of that moving more into the mainstream allowed, it became more of a priority to begin to work on on healing this and fixing it and finding a potential vaccine or the you know, science, quote-unquote, coming to rescue. Let me also point out another interesting thing, of course, at that time. There were all kinds of theories spinning around at the time about how AIDS was secretly created in a, in a laboratory somewhere, and it was meant to kill and take out gay men and prostitutes. And, now, of course, again, anyone who's dealing with COVID-19 now, of course, you can't go 10 feet without some conspiracy theory about where that's originated from and who's secretly behind it and all of those other things as well. So that was going on as well. And a lot of people uh, were, were, of course, outraged by, by some of these theories and probably most of them being nonsense in that way. But, but it does stem. The most conspiracy theories are wrong, but they stem from a feeling of something being off kilter in society something being out of balance and out of whack. So that is where there is some quote-unquote wisdom to it. It's just, you know, I think we live in a post-exile um, society where everyone is always trying to pan out where the man with the, you know, with the evil mustache is standing in the background trying to, to, to do all these evil things, quote-unquote. Um, but, you know, 
that movement into the mainstream, again, is another reminder that human beings, by and large, are bisexual. It doesn't mean, you know, you might only be 0.01% bisexual, but human beings are bisexual. Um, it is the wiring of the species. You may never act on it or, you know, or, or, or come at it in that way, but uh, that is the reality of, of the universe and, and how it was designed um, in that respect. So of course, you've got that, that expansion that occurred that way. But it also really awakened a lot of people to the plight and difficulty of gay and lesbian and transgender people um, as well. And um, it, 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 may, it began a push and a shift in society. Often when, when something ugly, an element of, that's ugly in society, it needs to die or end, um, you know, it gets uglier first uh, in that sense. Of course, people got uglier and more difficult and I mean, and, and more judgmental and, and darker. As, as, but, you know, anyone now understands, you know, after, um, you know, if you're a gay, lesbian, bisexual person in this society now, it's a very, very different world. It may not necessarily be perfect, but it is a lot easier. Um, I think transgender people are getting a little bit the short end of the stick now in that sense. Not even a little bit, a lot the short end of the stick because people are not understanding that either. Um, but as a general thumb, gay, lesbian, bisexual, we don't really deal with the scorn and the difficulty, so they're, they're far less marginalized in that sense by society standards at this point. Um, again, society, we see someone to hate, so now you get the dope that are mad at transgender people as if that's not also natural in its own way, too, as another expression of humanity in that sense as well. So, um, yeah, all these things, you know, ultimately changed um, in a lot of ways um, as a response to this. So, again, pandemics serve purposes in that sense, albeit they are dark and difficult, you know, when you're going through them or watching other people suffer or struggle through it um, while, while they ultimately happen. Um, you know, now if you, if you look at COVID-19 and what's going on, you know, as difficult as all of this is, and it is, um, we have a, uh, you know, a lot of, of things that have changed in society already. Some difficult things and some more positive things, less people on the road, planet healing, um, reprioritizing our work and why we work so much in the first place. Um, you know, maybe, you know, after this is all said and done, I, I'm thinking a good 20% more of the population is going to work from home. We don't necessarily need a million people on the road and racing to work and juggling multiple jobs. You know, there are things that will stem from pandemics that, that bring other deeper issues in society to the forefront. Um, and, and then, you know, at another level, the uncomfortable words that, that are spoken, um, you know, pandemics aren't necessarily unnatural. Um, there is, a, you know, a process of culling. Sometimes people um, have, have different reasons for leaving this world, and, and, and pandemics um, may accelerate some of that. You know, and as painful as that is, there is a reality that, that occurs in this world. You know, if you look at COVID-19, um, it is affecting the elderly population more so um, than necessarily younger people. Um, uh, and, and there's a lot of different other patterns we can look at with that. But again, that is not really my intention uh, for the show to, to talk too much about that, except to say that all of my listeners are wise enough to understand that and use your own intuition to, to see that there are some similarities between that pandemic that that began in the 80s and this one and by the way for any astrology fans yeah 
I knocked my phone down. Okay, sorry for that, that jarring <laughs> break and sound. So for any astrology fans, um, the, there was a similar astrological configuration that was going on in, in 1982 as there is today, something that occurs approximately every 35 years. So there were some astrological triggers as well uh, that are similar. So what I so now we're gonna we 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 talked about stage one telling the story of of Patrick, um, stage two understanding the societal implications of giving people that opportunity to look at um, whether they're gonna you know take the road of fear or they're gonna take the road of love and that is always a choice. But now we move into another element of, of territory here that I think is is significant. Now we'll talk a little bit for about 15 minutes about the metaphysical elements here that come into play. So if you're aware of what metaphysics are, um, I don't have to necessarily explain that to you, um, but um, for for some of my listeners, because this is going to be going marketed out in in different arenas, um, metaphysics metaphysics itself is based on the idea that that there there are multiple layers of reasons for experiences and events. So in other words, the, the ultimate example of, of, of heightened awareness of metaphysical influence is that life is not accidental. Um, we are created for a reason. We have purposes. Um, we have experiences. We have lessons that we learn while we're alive on this planet uh, uh, in the physical plane. You can stretch this further into ideas behind reincarnation and having multiple lifetimes in order to grow and, 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 and experience multiple things in different times in different places. But the ultimate embracing of metaphysical philosophy is really, to me, two primary things. One, that you're not an accident. You are purposeful. You are special. You're unique. Um, your astrology reflects those unique characteristics, your genetic history, your, your numerology is multiple ways to look at who you are and why you are, and that your life here is of no mistake, and that when you, when you pass back into the other world from whence you originally came, there is no death. It is a, another transformation of going home. We're here for a while. This is something we do. We go back to the place we originated from. We have multiple experiences. So metaphysics is about embracing those elements of, of the, the larger picture of the universe. The ultimate other side of metaphysics is the idea that our beliefs form our reality, that human beings ultimately experience a reality according to the beliefs that we have. So, you know, in the most you know, in the most profound, obvious way of explaining that to you guys would be like, for instance, someone who's, who's homophobic or believes being gay or lesbian is wrong. Um, clearly, that is not a, a world truth. In other words, that's a belief that they carry. Someone like that will, if they see a happy gay couple or a kid that was raised by gay parents that's really fulfilled and happy or anything positive, they won't see that. They're going to unconsciously, not even unconsciously, quite consciously look for things that will reinforce their belief that this is quote-unquote bad or wrong or difficult. So, you know, that's easier to see that people do that. Of course, again, it's nonsense. Uh, There are, you know, reasons for multiple sexual orientations. It's wired into the species for for multiple reasons. And uh, gay, lesbian, and bisexual people have unique lenses or viewpoints and abilities that are, are very much here for a reason. Uh, as equally empowered as, as heterosexual people are or asexual people are. But the idea behind metaphysics is that idea that, again, our belief from our reality, if you take that further, then the idea would also be that illness itself is a reflection of, of, of misguided um, beliefs and, and areas that have been energetically or emotionally blocked. So that being said, so in other words, saying an illness has multiple 
meanings behind it. I'm going to give you guys some example of this that will give you the light bulbs um, moments in that respect as well. So it doesn't discount that you, quote, unquote, got an illness. There's a recognition that there are multiple layers to events on the physical plane in the world that we live in that affect us and influence us. So let's start with, um, you know, some examples of this. So part of the post I had talked about was the idea that, um, you know, when you go through an emotional abandonment at a young age, if your parents throw you out of the house or you're, you're neglected or abandoned in any way, most people, most children will develop a belief that they are unwanted at some level, that they are not lovable, that even if it happens when you're very young, there is an awareness of that. And if that is not confronted and dealt with, and that is something you believe, you will ultimately unconsciously, again, I hate to say unconscious, it's not really as much unconscious as it's just something that's unexamined. We will sometimes seek out abusive relationships to validate that idea. So, and Patrick was such a great example of that because clearly he was a loving, wonderful, kind of really good guy, but he, he went from one abusive relationship to another. For me as a, a metaphysical teacher, I understand that he had not confronted that idea that he was unworthy in that sense, that, that stemmed from that abandonment. So um, that was something to me that I, I wanted to work on with him further, but, you know, he, he left this world, um, you know, before he fully in, encountered that. Um, and he, he may not have been ready. And, and his death also was something that was um, a teaching moment, potentially for all of us in that respect, certainly for his parents. Uh, it's all another story. Okay. So this is what happens. When we're younger, we, we go through these experiences, we begin to develop beliefs about life. Um, and those get reflected back to us in our experience. And listen, I, I, sounding grotesquely arrogant here, and I'm going to get to the illness part in a minute, um, you know, I come from a family of, 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 of six brothers and sisters, so there were seven of us. My mom had nicknames for all of us that she called us. And, you know, most of my other siblings didn't have the most um, nicest nicknames um, that she called them. They weren't mean, but they weren't exactly loving. But she called my little sister and me handsome and beauty. So, of course, we got the crap beaten out of us by our older siblings often. <laughs> oh, handsome's getting macaroni and cheese today. And beauty, oh, mom only loves beauty. And so my mom did this, but... It's the funny part. I mean, all my siblings, we we got good genetics. We're half Italian, half German history we came from. Both my parents were attractive beings. But, you know, all my siblings are attractive. But uh, I say this with love, and my little sister will appreciate this. Uh, my little sister, Diane, and I, we are the cutest. <laughs> and it's, it's because we were told we were. And so we developed that belief in a way. And the sister and I did struggle with that in my own way when I was younger, but I, I really did did come to terms with that. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I love to explain that idea about how beliefs form reality because it, once you hear this and begin to understand it, you realize this is not hogwash in a way. This is just how it is. We just often don't examine those beliefs. So we also can see this, obviously, within the realm of the, the physical body itself. So the body was designed to, to be healthy, to cure itself, to resolve issues and illnesses and, and things of that nature, obviously. But um, for many of us, we're bombarded at a young age with a lot of beliefs about the weakness and the fallibility of the body itself. Um, you know, science is doing its best and often does amazing things, but it also, there's a belief system within the scientific world, and we're, we're sent, many of us deal with this too, that, you know, it's like a crackshoot. You walk around the world and there are, there are viruses and, and, and terrible things that are germs jumping into your body and 
and they're going to take you out, and you know what I mean? It's only a matter of time before something bad gets you. Again, as an unexamined belief, we are, of course, going to just some part of this is going to assume that that's the way that it is. So, you know, from a metaphysical perspective, if you're in a room full of people with who've had the flu, you know, unless for your own unique reasons you decide to allow yourself to get the flu, um, you're not going to necessarily get the flu. Um, and, and it, dropping my phone just in a bad sense that I have. Uh, again, my apologies to anybody get their ears shattered. Um, all right, I'll try not to do that for the rest of the show. <laughs> Called being a spaz. Um, anyway, um, you know, it's unexamined in that way. You know, from, from a metaphysical perspective, we'll, we'll get a cold or flu or an illness to force us to rest. Um, listen, I would say that. One, you're in a physical body. You know, you're going to probably get sick at different points in your life. But for many people, when they get colds or flus, it gets them out of doing stuff they don't want to do. And often when you're mentally exhausted and you're spent, and as gross as it sounds, if, you're, if your biggest goal is getting to a tissue before something gross happens or a bathroom, you know, it, it makes you temporarily take off worrying about work and worrying about money and worrying about your relationships and all the things that we do, or politics or anything else. That, so it, it serves a purpose when we attend to ourselves and give ourselves time to heal. We, we're reminded of the value of taking care of ourselves. So there's purpose to that. So let me give you an example of a couple of these things that, that are, are significant. Um, you know, when I first learned a lot of this stuff, the, one of the first books I, I was able to get was a book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. It's still in print. It sold millions of copies for obvious reasons because it's amazing. And she talks about the, the, the beliefs, the emotions, the energy behind an illness and the pattern. So I'm going to tell you what a couple of those are and, and mention that about HIV uh, as well, too, um, and that are, are significant. Um, and, and just to let you know, when I first learned this stuff, believe me, trust me, I was like, could it be that simple? You know what I mean? In that sense, it's, you know, it seemed a little bit like hogwash to me even early on when I got it. But the more I studied this and, and every person I talked to with a different illness um, reflected these characteristics back emotionally, spiritually, in their belief system, became pretty obvious to me that this is not a question. So, again, I want to reiterate a point that if you, if you are ill, you're not making it up. It's a real illness. You're sick. But the idea in metaphysics is that if you understand the emotional, spiritual cause and the limiting beliefs that you're carrying that you can change, you're likely to heal more effectively or find the right healer, the right doctor, the right herbs, the right medicine man. You'll be more inclined to pull that, that towards you because you're, you're transforming that. And, you know, in extreme cases, Western medicine does have its value. You might have surgery and, you know, have hip surgery. And then during that surgery and that recovery, you come to terms with that fear of, of, of your fear of which direction your life is taking next, by the way, which is what hip issues are about energetically. So you mentioned a couple of these things that will, again, make sense to you. Hernias, for instance, are often ruptured relationships, um, strain, burdens, um, and an incorrect sense of creative expression, questioning that. Um, hemorrhoids are a fear of deadlines, anger, the past, being afraid to let go, uh, feeling overburdened. Uh, diabetes, uh, energy pattern behind that is a, a fear and, and a resistance to enjoying the sweetness of life, to allowing that in that way. Um, again, this can get tracked to beliefs and uh, issues that we, we never have questions in a way, um, even, you know, this, you can really break this down into things like being fat. 
fat is fat is a representation of, of protection of being hypersensitive you, you you gain fat on the body to protect yourself like armor um you know no one's saying that it doesn't also have to do with eating too much cake <laughs> but they're they're interconnected you you if you have a fear that you've got to protect yourself in the world is a dangerous place um you you might find yourself eating more cake they, they walk hand in hand they're, they're not separate events you know when, when we look at metaphysical things we're not trying to to throw away the the tangible practical we're looking at things from 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 multiple angles so um one thing I always like to sort of bring up, and this leads to the, the AIDS issue, of course, is like, for instance, um, sexually transmitted diseases are um, a deep-seated belief in shame about sexual expression, you know, manifesting as a physical illness. Now, again, of course, um, your if you you know went and had sex with 13 people in the same day. You know, there should be a part of you instinctively that not out of religious reasons or quote-unquote moral reasons, just instinctive, that's probably not the smartest thing to do, you know, in that sense. Perfectly allowed, you know, do whatever you want to, no judgment here. I've done some slutty things in my day. I mean, nothing to that extreme, but I have. But so, yeah, you, you're, you're interacting in that sense. But, again, the diseases that, that pop up have to do with deep-seated fear about um, and, and shame about those things. So, that they are ultimately interconnected. So in the case of, of a disease like HIV, if you analyze it and the energy pattern behind it, um, it has a lot to do with a deep-seated belief in that you're wrong even at a blood level, that, you know, you were told and, you know, by – and Patrick would be a great example of this – by religious, crazy, non-loving, in the, in the right sense parents that you were bad and wrong – so Patrick literally develops disease where his blood, quote-unquote, is tainted in that sense. You see very similar dynamic with this that occurred back in the 60s and 70s when you had hemophiliacs as well, too. Um, uh, a lot of that affecting um, black men and, again, other at the time marginalized people in society that were, quote-unquote, less accepted in some respects. Um, Thankfully, society has got grown, and we're realizing more about the nonsense of that. But it certainly hasn't completely grown, uh, God knows. But the, the AIDS is, a, again, a deep-seated belief in the, in, the, in the weakness of the blood itself. Blood is life force. It's vitality. It courses through the veins with, 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 you know, with, with beautiful, perfect flow in that sense. And so when, when the belief is that you're wrong at a blood level, AIDS can potentially be a manifestation of that in a physical way. So, um, and Patrick was a definite example of that, obviously, in that sense, from the abuse that, that he had, had encountered. So it, it is fascinating. I, I Trust me, I've studied this for, for many, many years of my life, and I work with clients on it as well, too. Um, and it's not that I'm, you know, I'm turning people away by any means from seeing doctors. Obviously, I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I'm just pointing out that working with a holistic med medical practitioner, an herbalist, an acupuncturist, or a traditional Western doctor, if you're doing it with the intention of, of uncovering beliefs that you carry within the self, um, dis-ease within the self, you have a much better chance of healing and, and resolving these things. And again, I, you know, as a writer, I've talked about this multiple times. I've had my encounters with a number of things throughout my life. Um, last year, um, 
in, in early January of, of 2019, I, I had a, a severe case of diverticulitis, um, which is a physical thing, obviously, and it was horrible, I might add, um, although I ended up actually using acupuncture and herbs and trigger point therapy to heal it, and it is literally 90, 95% healed, by the way. Um, so everyone take whatever road to healing if you have something like that. But the energetic emotional pattern behind diverticulitis is usually issues with your mother, unresolved issues with your mom of hurt and, and repressed anger. And sometimes there are other factors like feeling like you have to hide money or, you know, hide parts of yourself in general. Um, so there are, are multiple influences to to illness, and I, I had to come to terms with that. I had to um, forgive my mother. I had to really find a way to to deal with that. And, and the good news is I did. Um, it, it, you know, it extended further than that. It had to do with nurturing from my sisters and women in general, but really a lot of it was about my mother never feeling like I had fully gotten nurtured or loved the way that I needed to. And w- when I came to terms with that and, and forgave my mother, um, it was incredibly freeing, not only emotionally and spiritually, but also um, physically. You know, much of this disintegrated and healed and, 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 and moved out of, of my being. So it, it was profound. Um, I, I had issues. I had uh, two rounds of kidney stones. Um, 2019 was really a pain in the ass for me. I had a lot of physical stuff that were, was difficult at that time. Um, and I, again, me being the maverick I am, I, I use acupuncture and trigger points and herbs to move the stones through. They have moved through. I came to terms with my kidney issues and what those represent. And I'm like 80% better, boys and girls. Um, you know, the funny thing is like before that, I had like no physical stuff whatsoever for like 20-something years. I got the flu once maybe 12 years ago. I mean, Jesus, it was like 2019 was like a kick in the groin <laughs> at, at literal levels for me. I really came to terms with a lot of that stuff and did some healing. So um, that's one of the things why I'm sort of joking now. As difficult as COVID-19 is, I always sort of say my immune system is as strong as can be at this point because that's what I did. I worked on changing diet and, and belief systems and energy patterns and forgiveness and making all these shifts. And now my immune system is strong and powerful at this point of the game. So I'm, I'm not really afraid of COVID-19. Um, and, and then I also follow the logic to that, you know, listen, if, if that is going to get me, um, the math behind that is nearly non-existent, but possible. I will be sick probably for a couple of days, and I'll heal, and then I will have a strong immune system from that, from there, or on the, on the minuscule possibility that I do die and get this disease, then I'm cool with leaving this world. I don't fear going back to the other world. I was a weird kid who remembered being living other lifetimes. I remembered um, to some degree where I came from when I came here in that sense. I don't have that fear of death. I just, my joke is I'm not ready to go. I, I got, I think I got at least 30 years, maybe 40 um, of wanting to eat cake and have uh, cookies and, and smoke cigars on occasion and, and tell more stories and gamble and, and, and have fun. I'm like, I'm not ready to leave here, you know, in that sense, but I will if that's what is quote unquote necessary in that sense. I have no fear of that. So I have a different take on all of this, but, Looks like we're coming to the close of our show. Um, I, this is why I usually can't take calls live, uh, a lot of stuff to discuss. But um, I wanted to show you that story of, of Patrick. And if anyone's interested um, in more of my stories, 
Uh, my books are available on Amazon, uh, Dirty Little Secrets and Snake Oil Volume 1. Uh, you can email me to get my column. Um, also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I do a video about once a month. I always keep them like seven minutes, so they're not too long, but with different information there. Also, occasional pop-up something on Instagram or on Facebook. So tell a lot of stories in a lot of different ways, and um, interested in the one-on-one sessions that I do by phone or in office here in Phoenix, um, go to my website at jimventura.com, get more information there. But uh, thanks for listening to me today and, 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 and joining me in this discussion. I want everyone to be healthy and, and take care of themselves and not get pulled into fear during this COVID-19 crisis and stay on the path of love no matter what. Um, and, uh, and, and trust that if you're, you're meant to be around for a while, you're going to be around, and, and, and there's ways to heal one way or another. So, uh, again, thanks for joining me today. Jim Ventura signing out. We'll catch you guys next time. Cheers.